Chris Graves. Hi, I'd like to welcome a very special guest uh, that I've been wanting to talk to for quite a while now. Um, he's a veteran screenwriter in Hollywood, and he's uh, an actor as well and producer. Uh, Mr. Todd Farmer, welcome. Hey, it's me. <laughs> hey, thanks for doing this. It's very much appreciated. Uh, I've been following uh, not only your work, but your, you, you've had a blog for like a long time. And uh, I've learned uh, quite a quite a bit about it um, in the industry and your insights and everything. Uh, what what made you um, what brought you to uh, that career path? Because that's uh, something that I always wanted to uh, to be a part of as well, like uh, writing stories and screenplays and things. I mean, I always I always knew I was the. I mean, I was the kid around the campfire telling scary stories when I was growing up. So I always knew I wanted to write. And, uh, I thought I wanted to write novels cause that's, that's just what you did. But, um, I, uh, saw Quentin Tarantino had a collection of screenplays, True Romance, Reservoir Dogs. Maybe it was just the two of those. And I saw it in a bargain bin in a store. Would have been probably 90, maybe 99. No. Yeah. No, I think he also that. had the natural born killers, uh, was it like, I think it was uh, three of the screenplays. Oh, maybe it was three. I can't remember. Yeah, it was orange it was and black and red book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I bought that and I, and reservoir dogs is the first one I read. And I, and even though it was longer than your standard screenplay, because it was Quentin Tarantino, I was still like, wow, I can, I could totally do that. And so I kind of fell in love with the, with the medium. And so I, uh, <clears throat> I reached out to a friend of mine and, uh, she had, uh, gone to school with a guy named Dean Laurie and Dean Laurie had written my boyfriend's back and Jason goes to hell for Sean Cunningham. And he was currently, I think he had just released major pain with Damon Wayans and, uh, Dean and I chatted a little bit. He was from Georgia. I was from Kentucky. So we had sort of the Southern thing in common. And then, um, I pitched him a couple of ideas. One was a Bigfoot movie. And he was like, nah, they already did Harry and Anderson's. And I said, no, no, what, what about a scary Bigfoot? A horror, movie? yeah, a horror version. I, I still so, see a, a really, really good Bigfoot movie. Yeah. And so that's, so we, so we wrote one. Uh, I sent him, I had sent him a screenplay that I'd written, a sort of a fantasy screenplay. And this was long before fantasy was a thing. And, uh, he read the first 40 pages and threw it in the trash, called me and said, Hey, I just threw your script in the trash. He said, uh, you have absolutely no idea how to structure a screenplay, but you've got some great ideas. I can teach you structure. I can't teach you how to have great ideas. That came natural. So, so he did. He taught me how to structure a screenplay. Uh, and did he, he did. Did he, did he happen to give you a copy of like Sid Field's screenplay or something like that? No, I got that later on my own. Once I moved to LA, uh, I took a class. I almost immediately started working with Sean Cunningham because you know, Sean knew, uh, Dean previously. And the idea was that I would write, um, I would write a screenplay that Dean and I had come up with the concept together. Sean would produce and Dean would direct. And, uh, we had this idea called Lycanthrope which was comedy about uh, two brothers and one of them gets turned into a werewolf. And um, that's how it started with Sean. And 
I worked for Shell for three for three years. For everyone out there um, that is not familiar with uh, who we're talking about, he's he's referring to Sean Cunningham, the uh, the producer of Last House on the Left for Wes Craven, and later on uh, went and uh, produced and directed Friday the Thirteenth, and pretty much uh, you know the rest is history. Sorry, yeah. I didn't cut you off. No, 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 that's that's exactly uh, exactly right. So, so, so did Sean hire you to be a after after the flop a staff writer for the production company? Um, I believe yes. Sean hired me. He was going to pay me a thousand dollars a week. No, no, he was going to pay me two thousand dollars a month. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, because I remember that from your your blog. It was um, yeah. just the insight. It was. Uh, it's just fascinating. And, uh, I actually, Sean Cunningham actually did something really, really nice for me. I know he gets a bad rap, um, for different things over the years, but I was going through, uh, some personal, uh, troubles or whatever. And he actually wrote me a letter back and, uh, I really appreciated it. And he, he was pretty encouraging. So, um, that's my little Sean Cunningham anecdote. But so what led you to Jason X, which I always got a kick out of the fact that you and Dean Laurie were, were buddies after the fact, because you got the writer for Jason Goes to Hell, the writer for Jason X. And then, um, and I always got a kick out of that. But, um, yeah, what, what, what got you the job for Jason X? Cause, uh, I'm fascinated by that too. Uh, we, I mean, Freddy versus Jason had been in development for ages. So when I went to Sean in the first place, Freddy versus Jason was already in development. Uh, I don't remember which writers were on it. I think it was whoever preceded Sign Ethan. And Sign Ethan later did a Bulletproof Monk, or maybe they'd already done Bulletproof Monk. Yeah, I think but Peter so. Briggs. Yeah, Peter Briggs, who wrote the original Alien versus Predator, had done uh, a draft from Mike DeLuca, I think, in 92. But yeah, no, around that time period, that that had been going on. It was announced in 1987, but they didn't yeah. really do anything until they got the right new line, got the rights, and uh, when did Jason goes to hell? But yeah. Uh, yeah, and then lo and behold, it finally comes out in 2003. But uh, you yeah. were around during all that. That's also fascinating because I yeah. followed that project for literally uh, decades. It feels like. Yeah, I did a um, Sean. Sean sort of had his own ideas creatively of what he wanted to do. I had my own ideas. I, I always thought it should be King Kong versus Godzilla, just a big event movie. And uh, yeah. so together we did a draft that we sent to New Line. And I think it was probably around the Sign Ethan time period. I don't exactly remember when. Uh, it could have been the King of the Hill guys when they came in. I don't, I don't remember who was writing at the time. But um, we sent our draft over. About a week later, they sent it back with a lovely rejection letter saying, you know, it just wasn't for them. Oh. But they they had never opened it. Like they sent it back to us in the exact same envelope. Wow. <laughs> they never they never even went. I mean, it was a it was a massive slap in the face. Yeah. But, uh, oh yeah. I mean, that was you know that was their relationship. They uh, they you know they wanted Sean's access to the care. They had, yeah, they had to deal with Sean, and uh, they didn't like that too much from what I remember reading. Yeah. And so yeah. it was shortly after that that Sean was like, you know what, let's just do our own Jason movie. And so Jim Isaac, who had worked with Sean for years, uh, came in to direct, and we just sat around and bantered ideas. <clears throat> uh, the uh, and this is and this is a great part for those listening right now. 
your pitches before before outer space was ever 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 brought up. You had two pretty unique pitches that I wish someone would go back to or or something or uh, graphic novels or something it involved Los Angeles. And the other one was like a Blade Runner take. Right. Yeah. I mean, we had a there were a bunch. Jimmy always wanted to do um, Camp Crystal Lake in the winter. Just the I, you know, it's basically the shining, but with Jason. So you've got, you know, the, just that, you know, the splash of snow and the splash of blood on the snow. I mean, all that yeah. would would have been interesting. Um, but we never had a story to that. We just had, that was the setting. Yeah. And I was, I was suggesting, I mean, there was some crazy stuff suggested. I, I mean, we certainly, we had, you know, dropping Jason into Compton, dropping Jason into, <laughs> that's the one, yeah. you know, Los Angeles, dropping Jason into, um, um, a Blade Runner came later, but in the beginning stages, I mean, it was, I know we talked about the government, captures him and drops him you know i don't know who we were at war with at the time but dropping him somewhere or something <laughs> yeah <clears throat> yeah and so no, but i was, was i was intrigued because it was like you had you had jason taking out gang gang bangers in la and yeah. eventually the bloods and the crips have to team up to take on jason like i yeah. would have loved to have seen that yeah i mean it was uh I mean, we were just tossing out because at this point, you know, there had been nine movies. I mean, where do you go at that point? To some degree, it's going to be farcical. Um, and we knew that. And so the idea of, of, you know, doing something fun. I mean, there was, there was a moment like I, I don't, I would have to look because I think all of the stuff that I was creating back at the time was on a program called Scriptware and Scriptware is what everybody used back then. Uh, this is long before Final Draft and all the different copies that came out. But, uh, I mean, I don't have, I have all those files. I just don't have a means of opening scriptware files. But I know that there was one that was Jason and Gilbert Godfrey escaping from hell together. <laughs> and, uh. Never heard and, that one. <laughs> and it was, wow. and it was, it was funny because it was, you know, it was, them trying to get out of hell together, but Gilbert trying to stop Jason from killing everything in his path. And Jason couldn't kill Gilbert because he was already dead because he, he'd gone to hell. Right. And so I don't remember the full details of it. I wish I could, I could somehow figure out a way to get Skipper to open up. But hey, they, uh, they, they wanted Tom, they wanted uh, Tom McLaughlin. Well, Tom McLaughlin, uh, he pitched, uh, Jason meets, um, Cheech and Chong. So, I mean, it's not that out there, you know. Oh, I, did, I didn't know that. That's great. I would have watched that. Oh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it would have been like an updated Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein type thing in yeah. the 80s. Yeah. yeah. It would have been great. And then later, actually, uh, Kevin Smith, um, unfortunately, one of the Weinstein brothers actually pitched uh, Kevin, uh, Jay and Silent Bob meet uh, Michael Myers and Pinhead. And, uh, they, uh, I guess the whole idea of Jane Silent Bob's idea of hell would be they had to go to rehab and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Kevin wasn't too uh, thrilled on that one, but I, I remember hearing stories about that and I wondered if it was true or not. I didn't. Yeah. No, I asked Kevin. Yeah. He, uh, he talks about it now, but at the, uh, you know, reluctantly saying who, uh, was involved, obviously, you know, bringing up yeah. the Weinsteins or whatever, but, um, yeah. So. So eventually you guys had a round table thing about all these different pitches for a, a new Friday the 13th and like how you were going to bring them back from hell. Plus you had to, 
if I remember, you kind of had to stay away from a certain time period because you had to allow time for Freddie versus Jason to have. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, I think unfortunately that was well, unfortunately or unfortunately that was me. My concern was I was a bit anal when it came to the chrono- chronological storytelling aspect of this, and so I knew that. I mean, they had already rejected our Freddy versus Jason. They sent it back unopened. They wanted nothing to do with us. And so we didn't know what was going on. Right. On occasion, we would be sent a screenplay, but somebody new was working on it at that point. I don't remember who it was. I don't think it was, it wasn't Shannon and Swift at that point. I think this was way before then. Um, Rob Botin? Rob Botin? May have been Botin. Was yeah. Botin with the, the, uh, King of the Hill guys, or was that? Yeah, no, yeah, I remember he had written uh, a thing, and he was going to direct it, and then they pulled them yeah. off at the last second. Yeah, it was either Botine or it was um, the King of the Hill guys. I can't remember if they were a team or not together. The, the, oh, I, I remember Robert Ingram talking about the, Yeah, Greg. Gaines. He was by himself. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But uh, whoever it was, you know, we we knew that we weren't, you know, we weren't really in the door, and so. Um, plus, you I was, know, like, plus you wouldn't know like what kind of damage Jason would have went through, like literally physical damage. No, and yeah. we didn't know where we didn't know where Freddie versus Jason would leave him. So for us to come in and say, "Okay, let's tell this story," we either were just we were starting blind, or I had suggested let's just push it into the future, uh, and I pitched them. Oh, and yeah. I came up with sort of this Blade Runner concept, which is not far off from what we have now, which is, you know, there was a group of people who come in and they find him cryogenically frozen. Right. He's, you know, it was, we are still on old Earth, but it's still 500 years later. Yeah. And they, you know, they find him, you know, under some building. some Almost some like a demolition, man. like a demolition man thing. Right? I mean, very much that, you know, except that it's, not, fantastic. it's not, yeah. yeah, except it's not Stallone naked. It's right, right. <laughs> yeah. and so, yeah, but that's right. that's yeah. essentially what it was, and the biggest concern was just you know we wouldn't have the budget to do a Blade yeah. Runner type city with you know those kind of effects, no. yeah. and so you know I was a huge fan of Alien and Aliens, and I suggested well let's just do that. That basically we shoot it in an old dark warehouse and we called it a spaceship. Yeah, and they were like, okay, we could do that, and everybody kind of got behind the idea. <clears throat> we never talked about. We never talked about Hellraiser in space. We never talked about Chucky in space. We never talked about how others had done that, who who had done that concept and yet it wasn't well received because to me, Alien was well received. Aliens was real, was well received. These were to me horror movies, but you know, but you know, the genre was, was sharing sci-fi as well. So I was like, we can totally do that. Like I saw it as a very real gritty movie. I didn't see it as the tongue in cheek that it became. Right. Um, but that's because Scream hadn't come out yet. Oh, and yeah. so once Scream came out, everything changed. And yeah. And they also wanted Freddy versus Jason to take on that self referential Scream thing too. I couldn't stand that way at the time. Yeah. So anyway, so it, all right. So that gets greenlit and then. You guys shoot it, and for those out there that don't know, um, Mr. Farmer actually is an actor too, and uh, he plays a role um, in the movie. You have any uh, any fun? Well, I was gonna say, you have any uh, either fun or not so much fun experiences being on set as an actor as well? I mean, it was. I rem. I was very naive. I didn't know 
I didn't know how hard it was because I had only been out to LA for maybe three years when we did this and we started developing it a year before that. So in, so I was being paid to write. I, I was never, a, I mean, I wasn't being paid a lot. So I was a starving artist, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't scrambling to work a day job and then, and then write at night. I, I was fortunate enough to never have to do that. And so, you know, even today, I still, I'm, I'm at all at guys who go and work a 10 hour a day job and then come home and write at night. Um, because it's just so exhausting to, you know, I build a deck out back and I'm exhausted at the end of the day. I can't write a word. The last thing, um, yeah, your brain just wants to shut thing, down. Exactly. Yeah. And so I was always very fortunate and I just didn't know it. I was spoiled rotten because I didn't know how lucky I had been until much later when suddenly you hit the wall and it's like, oh, this is not as easy as, you know, I first thought. And so yeah. when I'm there, the frustrating part was, I knew that the movie had taken a, a turn to be more tongue in cheek because of screaming. And I didn't like that. And, uh, although I've learned to not learned, I've, I've, I've come to appreciate the movie much more now than I did back at the time, but it was very bright. It was very, you know, I was thinking alien. It had sort of become star Trek. It was, there's colors and the, the ship itself was very colorful and, and which is great. It's just not what was stuck in my little noodle. And so I was, I remember being more frustrated than I probably should have been. So I wasn't enjoying the process as I could have. Right. And, uh, and then I know Sean was, was doing his best to keep me distracted because he'd brought in Lewis Abernathy. Lewis was the, uh, heavy set fellow. He did a draft of Friday, of Freddy versus Jason too, I remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he may well have. I, d I don't remember that, but I know that he had been involved with Sean for a long time. And he was a Jim Cameron go-to guy because he had sort of quietly co-written uh, Titanic with Jim. Well, and he's in Titanic too, I believe. He's right? in Titanic as well, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and he's a jovial, big, you know, hearted guy. And he comes in, uh, Sean unleashes him on me to sort of do a polish of the script right before we go shooting. And Lewis is pitching Space Pirates, and he's pitching all these things that a guy as um, – well versed in the industry as he was should have known that we really can't add space pirates, you know, when we're a week out of shooting. Um, right. and so that kept me distracted. Meanwhile, Sean and Noel are, are making their changes to the script off in the dark, which is fine because they're making it, you know, it's Sean's the producer on the movie. He can do what he wants to. And, uh, it was a, it was a weird thing. So then at some point, I can't remember if it was Sean or Jimmy, but somebody said, do you want to act in it? And I'd never even, it never even occurred to me. Uh, I mean, granted, I was Frederick in the Pirates of Penzance in college. Right, right. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I always thought that I you had wanted had to be skill. an actor. Yeah, I always thought you had the impression, I don't know why, that you had always wanted to be an actor as well as a writer, too. No, never, never, oh, wow. never occurred to me. Um, I mean, I had done it in college and I loved it. Um, but, uh, no, it was not, I never saw well, it. Hey, well, later on, you even, uh, you ended up playing the boyfriend of, uh, Amber Heard, I believe, right? Yeah. I <laughs> mean, at that point, once I did, once I did Jason X, um, and you know, they asked me, what do you, what do you want to play? And I didn't know. I said, well, I'll play Dallas because he was the biggest role of the grunts. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't planned. And then, uh, and you had years, to look for it too, so. Yeah. 
and years, I mean, I like the role because the role, I get to die twice in the role. Most people don't get to do that. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a goofy little role and it sets up the VR for the end of the movie. So it's, you know, it's a nice moment. Yeah. And, uh, they, um, and then years later, Patrick was, Patrick did the same thing. He was like, do you want to be in my bloody Valentine? I was like, sure. No, but I love that because it's like, it's almost, it always feels like a, uh, Kevin Smith Tarantino thing where it's like they're in the movie as well. Like I always like that when people just do, they do other yeah. things besides what they're known for or whatever. All right. So Jason X comes out or rather it doesn't come out because uh, what uh, September 11th happens, right? Originally he's supposed to come out in 2001, I believe. Right. And then it got pushed yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't and think you, I had it. And you weren't, and, and you obviously um, just based on hearing you talk about it, you weren't that thrilled when it was released and, you know, no one could really blame you for that. But it, how did you deal with that, that kind of feeling or am I getting it wrong or? No, I mean, I was, um, I didn't, I know money got tied in the end. So the end of the movie looks a little, you know, jangled together. Um, nobody's fault necessarily. It's just, you right. know, we had, you know, we spent, we spent our money on sets and costumes and uh, things that we should have spent it on. And at the end, we just were kind of running out of money. Jason X um, was actually the first movie. I, I could be wrong, but was that the first movie to be shot entirely in digital? No, it was shot on film, but it was in, it was the first movie to be entirely transferred to digital oh, after okay. film. And it was such a big deal at the time that LucasArts ended up calling and talking to Jimmy and David. David was the editor at the time going back and forth, how they did that, what was the process? Because Lucas was going to do that with the prequels. And so, um, or shoot them full digital. I think they were trying to figure out what they were going to do. And here we, this tiny little movie out of Toronto yeah. had, uh, had just transferred everything digitally. So I think from a, from that kind of standpoint, I thought the, the film looked wonderful. I thought it looked very rich. But unfortunately, uh, because of that, it got leaked to the internet when the internet was yeah. kind of in its infancy, right? Yeah. There was, um, I want to say it was pirate Bay, but actually I don't think it was, I don't remember who it was, but somebody was playing it. Like, like a, a year kind of thing. Cause that would, yeah, you could, you could go in and download it. It costs nothing and you get the whole movie. And, yeah. uh, and it was, I can remember going and looking and it was the most downloaded movie. Uh, but there were a lot of movies that you could download. So of course it was. Right. Now, I don't know that that necessarily hurt it. I think a lot of things hurt it. I, for, for starters, I mean, this is no spoiler. I assume everyone who's going to see it has seen it. And, uh, if, if somebody's listening to this to my silly voice, then they probably spoilers, seen guys, it. just for the next 10 seconds. Just yeah, but, uh, yes. Spoilers. This is my, my spoilers are coming, but there, there's this whole concept that, at the end of the movie, we kill Jason. Yeah. And you think it's over. And we've already set it up that it's possible that he could come back. He just hopefully wouldn't realize that. And then the nanotechnology brings him back. And he, he's created into this RoboCop thing. Yeah. And, um, and that happens when you have the guy who designed RoboCop designing your, your Uber Jason. And so well, we, was, um, it same, was it the same guy? Yeah. It was Stefan who did, uh, who did oh, RoboCop. Wow. So, uh, we, um, but I never expected, 
that robotic Jason to be on the cover of the poster. I never expected <laughs> that robotic Jason to be in the trailer. I thought that was, to me, I always said it was like putting the penis on the crying game poster because why would you <laughs> do that? That's your, yeah. And, the big shot. And so that's, yeah. that's the big twist. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking back to all the films, you know, all those films in the 80s and 90s that had these big twists at the end. Yeah. Nobody was marketing those twists. And it's happened to me twice. The same thing happened with, with Drive Angry. Right. I mean, at no point in the screenplay did we ever say, spoilers, <laughs> Nick Cage broke out of hell. It, right. We all, it, it's, we always played it and you always think that it's prison that he broke out of. And then at some point in, in the movie, like page 80 or so, Amber Heard says to him, you didn't break out of hell, did you? Because we've just seen him get shot in the head and he gets back. Up. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, you didn't, you didn't break out of hell, did you? And he never says no. Or she says, you didn't break out of prison, did you? But yeah. it's never said hell. And then, of course, the trailer comes out and says, he broke out of hell. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Jeez, oh, yeah. we, we had to go back and reshoot the opening. Yeah. To justify their stupid trailer. Wow. Anyway, welcome, welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> So after, so after that, um, I know you, you you were still kind of working for Sean a little bit, right? And it, did you get to work with Wes Craven on a The Hills of Eyes remake for a little while? Uh, we didn't work on it. We went in and pitched Wes. He was shooting Cursed at the time. I don't remember which version of Cursed. I think it was the first version. Yeah. And Patrick and I, Patrick and I met on after Jason X. Uh, Sean and I never worked again together. Oh, okay. Uh, my contract ended before Jason X. Um, and, you know, towards the end, he and I were, were hitting creative differences yeah. daily. And so we just weren't on the same page. And um, But you were still like friends with his son, right? Noel, I think? Noel Cunningham? Or do I have that well, wrong? Just, no, Noel and I were close for a long time. Right after the movie, Noel took his, his money and, and moved up to Canada. For a long time. So okay. Noel and I then kind of lost touch. Okay. And um, then uh, I was close to Dean Laurie still. And um, and so and you guys I had, worked on a project together too, right? Or I mean, Dean and I have off and on. Like Dean even did writing on Jason X. He never got credit for it. It was just oh wow. He came up in the eleventh hour. There's a whole sequence where KM is uh, KM is Sonar and the guy who programmed KM is saying, you know, we're not going to survive this. Right. She's in love as a robot. She's in love with him. Yeah. And, and so there's this whole sequence where he's, uh, he's basically saying, um, I don't know, it was a comedic sequence where, you know, she, you know, the, if the more affection he shows her, the more they're, uh, statistics in surviving goes up because she's falling in love. And, uh, so Dean was a part of that when we were writing that whole sequence. I don't think it ever, it ever, I don't know that Jimmy and Jimmy ever really got the joke or appreciated the joke. It never, it never really. It just reminds me of, it just reminds me of the fact that uh, Dean's actually in Jason Goes to Hell as well as, uh, writing. writing. And his dialogue he had with the coroner that's going over Jason's corpse and talking about taking a crap on, on his mask and all that. A mango sized dump. Mango sized crap. Yeah, that's right. And he's actually he's got some uh some big stuff right now too. He's he's co-creator of the Harley Quinn cartoon on HBO yeah. Max, I think. Yeah. 
And I love that. Yeah, that's great. That's a great, it's a great animation. It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. That's yeah. uh, great. But, um, yeah. All right. So, and I hate to ask just because, uh, of who's involved, but you and, uh, your partner, Patrick, uh, you guys actually went and wrote uh, a Halloween sequel and a Hellraiser remake at a certain point too, right? For Miramax. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that would have been, Right before, um, God, after the Rob Zombie remake the, in his sequel. Yeah, the Rob Zombie remake was while Rob was still shooting. Um, Bob had called and said, "You know, we need, you know, we need, we want you to come in and help us because, you know, Rob's killing everybody." Um, <laughs> yeah, but we pitched. We Patrick and I pitched early on. We pitched. Um, we pitched the wines. Well, pitched Bob. We pitched him uh, Hellraiser, Halloween, and uh, uh, having a brain fart. Uh, heads exploding. Scanners. Oh, scanners. Okay. So in the same call, we pitched three different movie versions of all of those. And eventually Bob came back and said, we want you to do Halloween. And he sent us an early cut of zombies movie. And, you know, we watched that and then started working almost immediately. The tricky part was drive angry was about to come out or not about to come out. We were, we were supposed to go in January to shoot drive angry. And this was, you know, pre Christmas. So we had to write it and be, we really only had eight days to write it, eight to 10 days to write it. And then we had to start, you know, prep for shooting this movie so that we could shoot Halloween before Christmas so that we would then be available to go shoot Drive Angry in January. So it was a nightmare, but we did. But we wrote, plus, we wrote how, it. Plus, it just sounds like it's a thankless uh, uh, job, too, because it's like you're doing a, a part three to you know, to a filmmaker that has such a distinct style, like Rob had for his two Halloween movies, did you feel any pressure where you're like, oh, we have to kind of keep it more Rob Zombie centric? Or did uh, Bob Weinstein tell you like, well, you know, I just loosely base it on what happens at the end of his Halloween two, or like, I just, as a writer myself, I don't know how I'd be able to write myself out of that corner because he Rob Zombie has such a distinct style and everything that it, I feel like it wouldn't. It probably whatever I would write would not kind of fit like what the first two were. Well, we wrote what we did was the our first act was a bigger ending to Rob's movie. So we sort of backtrack it. We start it before Rob's movie ends. So you okay. see Loomis, you see. uh you know, Jason stabbing Loomis and then you sort of pan around and reveal, I said, Jason, she might yeah, be, yeah. you know, when you, when you worked with all three of them, you tend to merge the names. Together. I was going to say you wrote Jason into the script. I, I would have loved that. No. <laughs> I know it would have been fun. Uh, we, it would have been a rights issue, but it would have been fun. Yeah, <laughs> so Michael's, you know, stabbing Loomis and then you cut back to see that Michael's actually looking over Laurie as she's stabbing Loomis. Oh. And then she realizes what she's done and she falls back and he takes the mask off and he puts it on her and she walks outside 
and there's cops everywhere. There's, you know, it's, you know, blue lights everywhere, guns out. She drops to her knees and she pulls the mask off. And when she does, we, you know, we're inside the mask as she's pulling it off and we go from 2D to 3D. So the rest of the movie is in 3D. Awesome. And, uh, awesome. and at that point, they arrest her. They put her in a car. They take her away. They go into the building. Michael's not there. Yeah. Um, and so, um, if I remember correctly, we had to kill Dorif because Bob didn't like him. Somebody didn't like Dorif. I don't remember what it was. Oh, it was so we, yeah. <laughs> so we killed off, killed off Dorif so that she escapes and we end up, and the, the plan was always to bring Tyler and Scout back. That's how I ended up becoming besties with Tyler because you know, we started talking about this. And so the, you know, Michael was to be played by Tyler and to be played as sort of a T-Rex until towards the end of this first act. Uh, you know, they're in the back of an ambulance and the ambulance goes off a cliff in a dam and the mask, Michael's on fire and the mask is literally melting to his face. And so then we cut to a year later, Laurie's in the mental institution and the shape returns, but it's literally the shape this time because we're in like a, what are those, you know, pop-up Halloween stores. Yeah. And there's some kids saying, what do I do with this old mask? It's the only one left. And it's literally the old James T. Kirk mask because Gary Tunnicliffe, our effects guy, had found the old mold. And so we were going to bring back the old James T. Kirk mask. And, you know, it's the only one left. And so this wow. kid's like, what do I do with it? I just <laughs> throw, it, throw it on the shelf and put a, put a sale on it. Somebody will buy it. And then he turns around and Michael is you know, standing right behind him. And he grabs the mask, puts it on, and then beats the, beats the shit out of the kid. And so, uh, for the rest of the movie, he's the shape. Now, granted, he's big because he's Tyler, so he's six eight, but yeah. he's moving and he's acting like Carpenter's the shape, as opposed to Zombies T Rex. And you know, the plan was to always take it back to Michael the Dick, as opposed to Michael the creature that can just come through a wall. Right, right. And uh, fascinating man. Oh man. And so the rest of the movie, the, the second act, and, and so forth, plays out so that it's. It's basically Michael trying to woo Laurie into being a killer. And we never, we never know if she's going to succumb or not. And spoiler alert, spoiler alert, Halloween yeah. ends has a similar thing. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. It's got yeah, that, yeah, it's got that Christine kind of uh, feel. Yeah, where, yeah. Yeah. Ours, ours plays a little different, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it plays a lot different. No, I'm, I would, I'm, just, I'm not saying that they took the idea, but I'm saying yeah, that they, you had it first. Did. Yeah. I think, but I think that it was always going in that direction. It was always the idea that Laurie, you know, yeah. if Michael went insane, Laurie could probably go insane as well. Yeah. So, so Pretty after much. that, so they, they just, um, did Bob Weinstein just put the brakes on it after, or you guys went off to make a drive angry, just never heard anything again. And then the well, Hellraiser we, up at all, like did that kind of get that sideswipe too? Hellraiser came after we were, we finished the script. I wrote it in eight days and I literally slept at the office, you know, I ate, shat, wrote. That's all I did. And, uh, not necessarily in that order. And, uh, um, a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> ate, shat, wrote. Uh, but we, um, we finished it and we turned it in on a Saturday. They were expecting us to turn it in on a Monday. We did it on Saturday because we're trying to be the adults in the room. We're trying, yeah. We know we're, we're, we're caught for time. Uh, the idea was because they were in New York, they were going to reach out to us Monday morning and, and pull the plug. 
before we could send it, but we'd already sent it. And so that was a problem for them. Uh, so they came back to us and said, uh, Bob basically said, we don't have the money. Uh, I guess in some way, he, I feel like he was honest with Patrick. He said, look, if we go down this road, we're not going to finish on time. Right. You're going to get screwed twice because we're not going to finish this movie. And it's also going to stop you from doing drive angry. And so we just have to pull the plug now. So both of us were appreciative of that. The issue was they came back and said, yeah, we're not going to pay you. And so, you know, we had contracts, we had all, you know, we had everything. And so we had to go to war. And I remember the, the law, our lawyers and they're fantastic lawyers. Um, they said, look, if you do this, if you go to war with these guys, you'll never work for them again. We were like, okay. <laughs> so, That's fine. Yeah. so we got, we got every dime. Like, you know, I remember at the end, it was like, you know, uh, the agent said that Bob had called and he was like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta you know, we'll give you everything we owe you, but 10,000. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta trust me on this. You gotta take this. Just, you know, just 10,000, everything but 10,000. And we we're like, no, screw you. And so we got everything. <laughs> you sound like Kevin, you sound like when Kevin Smith does the Bob Weinstein uh, thing, because uh, he did the same thing to them, didn't give them the, the uh, profits yeah. to the clerks too. That's why Clerks 3 didn't get set up there. He goes, yeah, he does like the Bob Weinstein voice and just like that. Yeah, it's the, it's the, the high-pitched nasally thing. But um, but then, uh, you know, we were told we'd never work with him again. And then we went off and we shot Drive Angry. And we came back. And, you know, being ballsy like we are, we reached out almost immediately saying, hey, let's do – because we had been told from the beginning once we were done with uh, Drive Angry, we'd go back into Halloween. And uh, I think they had one of Quentin's movies came out, and it was successful. That sort of refilled their coffers. I can't remember which one of Quentin's movies it was. Oh, was it with the Jamie Foxx, um, uh, Django, around there? God, was it Django? Maybe it was. Right around that time, yeah. I can't remember. It was whatever movie came out around, you know, after Zombies Halloween. But um, we um, uh, so yeah, reached out. Dimension had some some funds again, and they were able to yeah. Uh, so. And so we reached out and we said, Hey, let's, uh, so let's get back into Halloween. And they were like, you know what? Hellraiser. So we were like, seriously? <laughs> Hellraiser? Okay. So, you know, we did what we did. We sat down and we came up. Uh, the Weinsteins have always been, I say Weinsteins, we mostly dealt with Bob. Um, but they were always, they wanted to make the movie that was popular last week. The problem was in two weeks, there'll be a different movie that's popular. So right. when we cut this deal, Priest had come out and uh, it's uh, Bettany, you know, the vampires. And it was a big budget, uh, loud, over the top kind of movie. And so that's what they wanted Hellraiser to be. It wasn't a remake. I guess it was more reboot. It was uh, so we we created this con. Did you have to basically, did you basically kind of ignore the, uh, the, you know, Claire Higgins part where in the original Hellraiser, where originally Clive Barker thought that was going to be the, she was going to be the, uh, villain of the franchise at first? Well, what we, what we did, and I think smartly so, is we, um, Clive's movie existed in, I don't even know where, where Clive's movie, uh, was set, but, you know, say it, it existed in Los Angeles and our movie was in San Francisco. So it was Clive's movie still exists. It still exists in this world. It's just our story is taking place over here to the left. And so oh, we're not remaking it. 
Okay. We're not, yeah. we're not using any of the same, you know, we're not, we, what we did was. It wasn't was a remake we, of the Hellbound Heart story, basically. No, it was not that. It okay. was always, in our minds, it was always a reboot. And, uh, you know, a reboot in the way that, say, Tron rebooted because it just takes place in the future. <clears throat> so our plan was, and I think what we even, this was Patrick's idea, because we just worked with Bill Fickner. Bill Fickner played the accountant in Drive Angry. And so we had this idea where you, it was three posters. And the first poster is uh, is of the, I guess it was of the, of the, It was the configuration. It was the box. Yeah, the configuration. And I think we said, uh, rabbit. Uh, no, it was, it was a picture of Bill Fickner and he's sitting in a chair. He's got a gun aimed at the camera and he's got three, uh, like cross tie nails stuck out of his forehead, which, you know, a little trickle of blood coming down, you know, down his nose. And it just said the rabbit. And then there's a picture. Is he going to be your pinhead? Is that what you're getting to? I, 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 no spoilers, but I will get there. <laughs> and then there's a picture of the cube and it said, uh, the rabbit hole. And then we combined the two and said, how far are you willing to go? So our story was basically, uh, it was about a husband and wife and this guy is chasing after the cube, Bill Fickner. And in the opening, he's, you know, these guys grab him and they, uh, he opens the cube and these the creatures come out and they drive three nails into his head. And so, we are basically telling the um, the prequel. We're telling the origin story of Pinhead. How did Pinhead become Pinhead? And so you're watching this movie and you're watching it play out. You're watching how this guy goes into this underworld and, and learns how to control it. Learns how, because he was an engineer in his, in his life and the toy maker was an engineer in his life. So, I mean, you go into this whole thing. But at the end of the movie... Uh, Doug it's, a how to, it's basically it's a how-to to become a Cenobite, right? Yeah, you, yes, that's what we that's what we lead. Hopefully, we're, we're leading everyone to believe. And then at the end of the movie, Doug walks out around the corner, and he's he is still Pinhead, but now he is the engineer who he's the I can't forget what we called him, but he was like he was now the the leader of the underworld. He was you know, I forget what it was, not king, master, something or other, but. You know, this whole time we're we're leading everyone to believe that Bill Fickner is the original, um, and is the original the pinhead. Twist that the original Hellraiser movies still exist in this universe, and that is awesome. Still exists in this universe, and it's and Pinhead's old. He's decrepit. He's he's you know who knows how many centuries he's been on the earth, but he's he's falling apart. But he's still in control, and uh, you know, and, and then Bill Fickner you know goes up against him. So that was. So Clive's story still took place, but it took place who knows how many years ago. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, that was our, that was our take. And, uh, we sent it to them. It was like a 44 page document, sent it to them. And of course a different movie had come out and that different movie was now a big deal. And so they were like, yeah, can we, can we not be so adult? Can we get rid of the wife and maybe make it a father and a daughter and she can have some friends and, and Pinhead's a slasher now when he doesn't have powers and everything. Yeah. I actually don't. Uh, so we did a, we did a, an utterly different take. Um, and it was 60 pages long, very in depth outline. Um, sent that to them and they came back. And I remember the, the, th the third movie that came out was Final Destination. Uh, 
and it came out in huge numbers. And they were like, yeah, that's what we want. We just want teenagers. We don't want this, this adult guy. We want you know, just teenagers. And so we talked to some of our friends and they were like, cause we had, because they, they had sort of tried to screw us over on the Halloween, we had front loaded this. So we were going to make a tremendous amount of money writing the outlines. Yeah. And so, you know, but we had already done that step. So we'd already been paid for the outline. Here they are asking for another outline. So all of our friends who are in the industry were saying, look, just give them what they want. The movie's probably not going to get made, but give them what they want so you can get to the next step and then you can just write the screenplay and get paid the rest of your money. And it sounds horrible to say it that way, but hey, you know, it's a business and everybody's got bills to pay. So That's your job. We, we hope that they'll make the movie. But at this point, they don't want the first two versions. I still think the first version is the best version. I think the second version is next in line. And the third version is the worst of the three, even though I still think it's a good version. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, and so, you know, if you're going to make the Final Destination Hellraiser, I think that was the best version of the Final Destination Hellraiser. <laughs> but, um, but you know, we wrote it and sent it to them and uh, just for whatever reason, never heard back. Crickets. And so uh heard crickets and then um and then at that point um Drive Angry ended up coming out. And uh and I think Drive us, Angry Can you tell us how you were able to get uh people like William Fickner and Nicholas Cage involved? Because that was that was pretty inspiring too, and they, they kinda helped get it at that greenlit, right? Yeah, we had uh the original idea for Drive Angry was we had just come off of my Bloody Valentine, which is very successful. And uh, about two weeks before Drive, uh, Valentine came out, we went into New Line and we pitched the sequel. And they loved it. And so when Valentine came out, and it did very good for that opening night, um, I mean, we even, we were there with executives from New Line saying, wow, we, we have a job on Monday because New Line was at a time when it was, they were very stretched thin. And this was a, this was a big movie for them. Yeah. And so we expected that there would be a sequel and then we just never heard anything. And so, uh. So nothing's a safe bet is the blessing no, of Hollywood. Yeah. No. So we, you know, we ended up going off and we made Drive Angry and, uh, Drive Angry was, uh, uh, the original concept that we came up with was while we're shooting the sequel to, uh, My Bloody Valentine we would use the exact same crew. And when we wrap my bloody Valentine, we would then go off and do, uh, this dirty little movie called drive angry, yeah. which we would do with Tom Atkins, Betsy Rue, who I played, played opposite me in, uh, in Valentine. Yeah. And they would be the Nick Cage and the, and the Amber Heard roles. And it would be, you know, we'd shoot it for nothing, you know, four or five million dollar movie, uh, road movie 3D, you know, very crazy Mary, dirty Harry, or dirty Mary, crazy Larry. The old seventies, yeah, like this. Old seven, yeah, old seventies exploitation. I mean, that was the whole plan. And uh, you know, we just never heard back. It never, it never happened. So we decided to go ahead and write the script, which we did. And it was a weird thing because my Valentine was a big success, but yet people seemed to treat us like it was a flop, like it was a. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's just a, a phase. Horror, horror snobs. Yeah. 3D, 3D, this 3D thing is a phase. It's, it's not, a James, yeah, yeah. James Cameron had come out to say it's the worst thing that's ever happened to 3D because he was, 
you know. James Cameron uh, crapped on Drive Angry? He cra- no, he crapped on Bloody Valentine because. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. In, the in your face of it. You know, Cameron wanted the immersive, and I understand that, but can't we have both, my friend Jim? And so, um, so anyway, we, uh, we wrote Drive Angry and went out with it. And, uh, I mean, we, we did one tiny little polish on it. So this wasn't one of those scripts that we wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. It's just, we wrote it and we went out with it. And, uh, we ended up meeting producers all over town and we were just about to settle on a producer when one of our agents called saying, Mike DeLuca just read it and you got to go meet with him. So we went and met with Mike and everybody we met with producers, you know, all the producers we met with, we would say to them, so what would you do? And they would always give us notes. Well, this is what I would do. And I would take this and I would make Nick Cage, not Nick Cage, but I would make, you know, Milton do this and we do, they all had notes. When we got to DeLuca and we said, what would you do? He said, I'd go shoot it. And he was, he was quoting lines to us. He was quoting the pink dildo line. I mean, he knew (laughs) backwards and forwards. He was That's a cheerleader of yours from way back to Jason X, right? Because Jason yeah, X wouldn't have gotten made without Mike DeLuca, if I remember right. No, it wouldn't have. I mean, what was what was beautiful about it was Mike DeLuca greenlit my first movie, which was Jason X. And he also loved and greenlit and led to the green lighting of, uh, of driving. So what was beautiful about all of this is that Mike had made Ghost Rider with Nick. And so he sent the script to Nick, Nick. And when Nick got a third of the way through, he called Mike and he said, I'm in. I don't need to read anymore. And, uh, and every, everything changed after that because wow. suddenly now we still didn't make a ton of money on it because, you know, movies weren't selling, uh, screenplays weren't selling big at that time. And we made, we made fine money. We refilled the coffers and paid off some debts, but it wasn't. You know, this wasn't the, this wasn't the one that retires you and, and has you moving to, uh, you know, France for the rest of <laughs> But it was your, your original project that you were, it was. you guys were going to go film for like peanuts before we, with, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and so now, you know, instead of, you know, instead of going and film and filming this movie for five million, you know, we're going out for, depending on who you ask, 30 something. And so, um, we went, we shot the movie, um, and it was a challenge because, you know, we're shooting it with a company that pre-sells everything and they're very tight on the budget, very tight on the funds. Um, and so there's not, we didn't have any rain days, but we're shooting in Louisiana. And so, you know, it was, it was tricky. So we had to, we didn't have money to throw at problems. We had to outthink all the problems. And that part was, while it was very stressful, it was also very fun. And it, and it showed me that we had a hell of a team. We had a hell of a crew. Well, that was also the the indie ethos too, like uh, creative happy accidents and things like that. No, absolutely. I mean, that the whole we have a whole sequence that takes place in the church. It was not written that way. It was written out. It was written at a car, uh, a big car collision accident on a freeway. But we couldn't shoot that because it was supposed to rain. So we moved everything into a church, and I think it works better in the church. It's creepy in the church. Yeah. And so. Yeah. And then. um and it's weird because, I mean, this is 2011 when the movie came out. We didn't – well, now you sort of have an idea of how a movie's going to do. And I think that was just starting, but nobody had told us. Right. And so I took uh, uh, my wife at the time and daughter, I took them to Disneyland. 
just because I'd gone through this process before and I was like, I don't want to stress about how the, how the movie's going to do. I just want to go have fun. So I went to Disneyland and around nine o'clock or so on the night, on opening night, I reached out to Patrick because I hadn't heard anything. And I said, how are we doing? And he said, it's going to be about five million. And I was like, ooh, five million's bad for Friday night, isn't it? He goes, no, it's going to be five million for the whole weekend. I was just like, oh, wow. Oh, oh no, this is not good news. (laughs) Can I get my tickets back for Disneyland? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I did not get my tickets back. But, uh, no, it was, it was, it was bad. It was as bad as you would expect. It was, um, after that, we had meetings set up. I know we had one meeting at Paramount, big meeting. Uh, it got canceled. Like, suddenly, I got, I just didn't think that was a real thing, but it was. I mean, suddenly all of our you got Nick Cage as a star of your your movie yeah. and everything, and all the stuff. Everything seems like, oh my God, this is like can't get better, yeah. and then it yeah. turns for the worse. Yeah. Now, for me as a writer, as a working writer, you know, I had I had been paid for uh, for Drive Angry, but I had been paid a year ago for Drive Angry, and so. You know, everybody knows it's expensive in LA and you're paying this and paying that. And so the money is running out. This leads, so, this actually leads into a, a really important thing that I found on your, your blog a couple of years ago. Uh, you actually, warts and all, you wrote about how, you know, your luck had uh, pretty much run out and you were still trying to be a, a screenwriter, but trying to survive and, and you were, you know, having to live in your car and then you, you were selling cars at another point. And I really want to commend you for those blog entries because, uh, I went through something. I wasn't obviously a paid screenwriter, but I, I was living in my car in LA, uh, not too long ago. And, uh, yeah, no, my, <laughs> if you, it, does that it get that time in your life? I know you wrote about it. Uh, maybe that you had put it to bed with those blogs, but would you be able to just tell everyone how, what made you decide that to actually share that? Cause uh, I can, I understand why you probably did it um, to help others that are in a desperate situation, but you ended up coming bouncing back though. That that's as far as I still know. Um, and that's the inspirational part of it, but like, is it still painful to look back on? I mean, or just a I mean, learning experience. It seems horrible to say it actually, it was, it wasn't painful. I mean, it should have been painful, but I went into it with a pretty good, I guess I went into it thinking it was just temporary. What it, what had happened was Patrick and I did after drive angry, we did do Hellraiser. So that kind of refilled the coffers, uh, paid off some debts. And, but we weren't able to get any more jobs after that. We were trying, we were writing all the time. We were developing all the time. We were taking meetings left and right. I was because I at the time I was living in Pacific Grove, which is about five six hours north of L.A., and so I was driving into L.A. I was crashing with Patrick. You know, we were doing meeting after meeting, and just nothing was happening. And so, you know, over the next year, money just dried up, and so um, it was one of those things where uh, uh, my wife at the time she and I had separated. She and I had separated actually before Drive Angry. I mean, we were still friendly, but we weren't living in the same house. And uh, when I took them to Disneyland, I, like we were still married, but we weren't together. And uh, and that was for, for Drive Angry. And so she had come to me and said, look, I want to move back to the South because that's where my family is. 
that's where your family is. I don't have a lot of friends here. I'm not pursuing the business you are. When you go off to make a movie, you're gone for three months. So, you know, I'd rather do that. And I said, okay. And so they, they left and I moved back into LA and LA is expensive. And, uh, and eventually I just, I didn't have the money to send because I was sending them money. I didn't have enough money to rent a place. Now I could have found a roommate. And I did look for a roommate for a while, but at some point I just ended up and I wasn't making any money. So I took a part-time job of doing the Christmas rush for UPS. And I guess that was 2000, that would have been 2000 into 2013. And so I drove, I, I drove for UPS. <laughs> they put me on a bicycle. They would drop me off in a subdivision and there would be a big uh, locked trailer. And I had a bike with a basket on the back of the bike and I would go into the trailer and load everything up. And then I would ride the bike from house to house making deliveries at, you know, 40 something years old, whatever it was for eight fifty an hour. But, you know, I didn't have any money, so I didn't have a choice. And then, um, yeah, exactly. girl, well, you work is work. Yeah. Yeah. So I was dating a girl at the time. She got me a job working for Toyota in the customer service. So, you know, You'd come get an oil change, and I'd call you about a day later saying, hey, were you happy with your oil change? How can can we get 10 out of 10 on the survey? Um, and so that was my that was my job for almost a year. But uh, in that time, the girlfriend and I broke up. I was staying with her. And uh, so I just started sleeping in the car. And, you know, and I, you know, you learn all the tricks of the trade when it comes. Oh, to yeah. Yeah. You learn that they can't, yeah. the cops can't really mess with you at certain Walmart parking lots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, to be asleep, because L.A. still gets cold. People don't realize it. It does get cold. Oh, it doesn't yeah. get down below freezing, but it gets cold enough that, you know, you have to. And there were many times that I would have to start the car and drive around just to warm up. Yep. And the problem with that is your windows steam up. Because you're sleeping, you know, it's cold outside, it's warm inside. So the police drive by and they see the steamy windows and they're like, okay, somebody's in there. And it is illegal. It is illegal to sleep in your car in L.A. and Ventura counties. And so I always would say, oh, sorry, I I got in an argument with my girlfriend. And they almost always asked if I were drinking. And so I would always have to get, sometimes I have to get out and do, you know, do the whole test and stuff to show, no, I'm not drinking, I'm tired and so got, it was a hassle. I got so tired at one point that I had to pull over and then I had the local cops there knock on the window and come to find out Jack Nicholson apparently called them because I was in his driveway blocking the, at the gate or whatever. Oh, that's not my yeah, finest not, moment, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's not a good thing. I, uh, I learned that you could park on the property line and that tended to be the best for me. Uh, but in the end, I ended up parking, I ended up spending most of my time on an industrial street. And it was just, you know, it was 24 hour parking and nobody lived there and nobody was working at that time of night. So I would park on that street. It was completely empty. Yeah. And so that, that ended up being what would save me. What I would do is I would leave work. I had a, um, I had a gym membership for $10 a month. I don't think you can get a $10 a month gym membership now, but I would go at the end of work to the gym and I was in the best shape of my life because, you know, I was going there to take a shower, but I knew I had to work out some. I couldn't just always go there and take a shower. So I was, I was in the best shape of my life because I was running five miles a day. And uh, then I'd take a shower and go 
crash in the car and I'd write until my battery went dead. Wow. Battery on my laptop. And, uh, I wrote, um, I wrote three different screenplays that year in the car. One of them might actually get made this year, which would be lovely. Uh, and then, uh, I wrote, uh, I ended up ghostwriting a, uh, a novel for somebody. And I wrote, um, was that the comic book with uh, Thomas Jane and Garth Ennis? No, that's, uh, that was, that was way earlier than that. Uh, no, this was a, this was a ghost. This was some guy was writing a novel. He was busy doing something else. So he asked me if I would write it. Uh, and then I, uh, I did, uh, God of War. They were doing an animated version of God of War. This company that I'd worked with before. And so I did that. And it was the combination of those two things that allowed me to leave Toyota. And so I moved back to, so it's about a year later. That's when you were able to start coming back from, from this rough yeah. patch. So the end of 2014, I moved to Memphis and I moved in with my ex-wife and, and stayed in the office. And so I was spending time between LA and, and, uh, and there so I could be around my kid. And, uh, but I was, you know, then I, I'd, I was writing again. So I'd sort of got back into the game. And so, so everything got better. And, uh, and so well, you, you stuck with things and like the moral of the story, I guess, is you just keep sticking with it. And, uh, yeah. And how long were you in the car? About, uh, about, about a month. Yeah. It was a rent a car too. <laughs> so it wasn't even my own. So I had to keep yeah. renewing it with this, uh, this app or whatever. And it was a nightmare, yeah, but, but yeah, no, I, uh, haven't gone through that. And that was after I had read your blog. So like, yeah. yeah. But anyway, well, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's funny you say the blog because the blog I think is still out there. It's not in great shape, but it's still out there. I don't think I wrote, I, I, I wrote it. Uh, I was going to put it in my blog and I ended up putting it on badass digest. Is that what it was called at the time? It became birth, death movies or. Yeah, you know, I have, yeah, I have it somewhere here right I don't now. Think, I don't even know if it's still up anymore. I haven't looked at it forever, but, um, believe me, but I'm, no, I'm the, known as a researcher. So believe me, I'll be able to find it probably on the way back to school at some point. I think that's actually where I read it to begin with. Well, it's one of the, it's funny because it was one of those things where I want, you asked me earlier, I didn't answer the question. I had, there's always been this perception that to make it in Hollywood, you got to be successful even when you're not. And, uh, you know, I, I knew guys who would rent, uh, limousines and so forth when they were going to do things, even though they didn't have enough money to do that. They were just trying to look the part. The presentation. Uh, or would rent the, the BMW for the day just so that it looked like that's what they drove on a regular basis. I never did it. Um, but, uh, I just couldn't help but think, you know, I wrote Jason X and it was years before I did another movie. And, uh, but I did, you know, I did Clock Tower and I did Messengers and I did all these movies and I did a bunch of stuff that never got made. I got paid, but it never got made. You did, you were, and you then, were able to do the studio pitch thing too, right? And yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was doing everything right. Um, and I was, I was getting jobs and I wasn't getting jobs. I mean, I, I was, I was literally feast or famine. I had great years and I had bad years. I had years where I made over 500,000. I had years where I made nothing. Um, so 
I was never the guy who sold a script for two million and could tuck that away and just sort of live off that interest. I was never that guy. And, uh, and to, be mentors, fair, that was, to be fair, that was only like a short period of time in the nineties anyway, right? With like Joe Esterez and things like that. It was, like but a lot, a lot of my buddies had done that. A lot of the guys that I was hanging around with, they had sold specs for a million. And, uh, I'd never, you know, the, the year that I made the most money, that was off four different screenplays. So it wasn't like I made half a million dollars off of one thing. I mean, half a million dollars, but it was off of four different projects. Right. And so I was working my balls off to do that. Yeah. And fortunately, I have, I have great balls. So that <laughs> go for me. But, uh, but, you know, it was one of those things where it, it was, I felt like I wanted to tell the story because I didn't have any, I felt like I didn't have anything to lose. It didn't embarrass me. Um, no, I'm really so, grateful, grateful that you did. But it's interesting when it, when that story came out, there was a moment the next day when I realized it had gone, it hadn't gone viral throughout the world, but it had certainly gone Hollywood viral. Right. And there was a moment when I was like, oh, oh, well, this might have been a mistake. But then I started getting emails and I got Facebook messages, emails, uh, Twitter messages. I mean, you name it. It was, I spent the next two weeks just responding to people. And there were people who had gone through the same thing. Yeah. who were way more successful than I ever dreamt about being. There were guys who lost houses, lost families, lost everything. Wow. And uh, and most of them weren't able to bounce back. Most of them had moved on to other stuff. Um, right. Some some did. Um, and some, you know, I talked to people who were literally sleeping in their car as we were communicating. Right. And so this was not a one-time event. This is, this is a part of the Hollywood story that nobody wants to tell, but it's true. That's actually uh, probably more the norm than, uh, I think so. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, no, I'm glad you were, you, uh, you were able to, to, to do that. And, um, well, right now we'll just wrap up. Uh, I'm just glad that you, uh, were able to talk to me. Uh, or do you still keep in contact? If you don't mind me asking, do you still keep in contact with like Thomas Jane and Garth Ennis and uh, when you guys did, uh, come together for that, that comic book back in the day? Well, I never, uh, I've never dealt with Garth. Do you mean, uh, Bradstreet or Steve? Yeah, like Tim, yeah Tim Bradstreet. That's what I meant. Yeah. I keep thinking the Punisher. <clears throat> That's why. Yeah, I mean, Tom and I send happy birthdays. I haven't seen Tom in a long time. Right. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll text every now and then. Uh, Bradstreet's the same. I mean, Bradstreet even less because you just have to catch Bradstreet at the right time. When you catch Bradstreet, you're going to talk to him for two hours, right. but he often doesn't, doesn't respond. Um, uh, Steve Niles, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, I'll, you know, we'll like stuff, but, um, I haven't, uh, I haven't hung out with Tom since probably the year Drive Angry came out because we hung out because I used to go to Comic Con yeah. in San Diego and Tom and Bradstreet and all of us would hang out and um, and it, you know it was it was fun and it was goofy and it was an entourage and it was everything that you know is both great and horrible about Hollywood. <laughs> so, right. Like I can remember Thomas Jane chasing Ron Perlman's dog around the room. Tom was on his hands and knees barking at the dog wow. and Perlman finally coming in and swooping the dog up. And he's like, you know what? My whole family's in therapy. Now you want my fucking dog to be in therapy. Hellboy <laughs> yeah. so, oh here. Yeah. This was the life I led. 
And so, uh, so well, got, that's got, awesome. Yeah, that you were able to bounce back, you know? Yeah. And so we are, I think when I talked to you last, we were headed to Greece, but now we are headed to, um, we're headed to Ireland and then probably Portugal. So things do you have, changed. Do you have any, uh, upcoming, uh, projects that you can talk about or, or, yeah, uh, I'm working on a, I'm working on a TV show that we're going to shoot in Ireland. Oh, and, wow. uh, it's it's genre and it's based on uh, scary Irish lore. My wife is Irish, and so we've been spending more and more time in Ireland. That's and great. so we're going to end up buying, uh, we'll end up buying in Ireland and uh, and shooting over there. What's beautiful about Ireland is you've got you know you got Vikings, you've got you know all these different shows, Game of Thrones to shoot over there because they've just got this, these beautiful sweeping vistas and and. Uh, I always thought it'd be cool if someone, I always wanted to do like an all Hallows Eve thing with all the Celtic origins of Halloween, like right there. Exactly. I mean, that's not the one that we're working on, but we've talked about it because their, their mythology, their Halloween mythology is absolutely crazy, but it's it's wonderful. The snakes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, everything about, uh, I absolutely love Ireland. And so we, we, last year we went for the first time to look at houses and we, Went over the entire island, and yeah. you know it's it's you know we're talking about it, it's it's a place that's the same size as like Tennessee. It's not a huge, it's not huge. So you can drive across it in four hours. Yeah. And so you know we drove everywhere, stayed everywhere. We just got back. We went. Uh, uh, we were at, right, I guess, a couple of weeks ago to look at a couple of places. Yeah. And so um, I can't complain. My life's good. That's awesome, and you you seem like a really down to earth guy, and you are because you you like I said you uh you had the guts to have the warts and all about you know I'm down on your luck and uh, kind of give an inspiration to people like myself and other clearly a lot of others that because you had to take like two weeks just to respond to all all those folks, but uh now very inspirational, and uh, I'm gonna put a link in the thing if you don't mind in the show notes just so no, no, no. Uh, people can check that that out um, if that's okay with you. No, please do. Okay, and if uh, if you people want to get a, you know people want to get in touch with you, uh, is there a better way than others or on Twitter? Or? I mean, Twitter as long as it survives, Elon uh, will be <laughs> yeah. there. I'm also, you know, I'm also Instagram and Facebook. Uh, uh, Twitter is Todd underscore Farmer, and so is Instagram. Okay, and any, anybody can reach out to me on those. I normally. I may be slow to to respond, but I do eventually look at them. That's great. Hey, I, I really appreciate this, uh, Todd. And uh, yeah, you have no idea. I, I've been waiting to talk to you for a while, and I'm glad that we were able to make it happen. And uh, well, by the way, I'm also glad you got out of the car too, because while yeah. it's a a lovely adventure, it's so much better to sleep in a bed. I'm almost 40, so yeah, I, my body's like shutting down, so I can't be yeah, sleeping uh, uh, and Uber eating and door dashing. Yeah, it's a uh, oh, young, yeah. young man's thing. So yeah, that's that's a that's a yeah. game that I am not wanting to play mm-hmm. myself. Yeah, I experienced it twice, and uh, that was enough. I don't want to go for third time's a charm because in this case, third time mm-hmm. is not a charm. I mean, the scary thing is, is I know I got used to it. Yeah, I, so yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. It's, just, it's a routine just like anything else. And I got into the routine and fortunately I could go stay with Tyler and Renee on the weekends or go stay with friends on the weekends. And so it, I, like you, you develop skills that you know you can survive with, but you, it's not yeah. something you want to live your life doing. No, no. But anyway, anyway, I appreciate it. And, uh, well, thanks, sir. 
hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully we can talk again after you, uh, this Ireland project. I'm very intrigued. No, I would, yeah, it would be, uh, I, I hope for that, uh, I hope it all works out as I'm planning. Oh, it should. It should. Yes, it should. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show and uh, have a good, right, good, good evening. All right. You too. Take care. Take care.